ShareCare is the leading online health and wellness engagement platform, providing millions of consumers with a personal, results-oriented experience by connecting them to the most qualified health resources and programs they need to improve their health. It's time now for ShareCare Radio on RadioMD.com. Here's your host, Dr. Daria. Hi, it's Dr. Daria, and welcome back to ShareCare Radio. We are right around the corner from the holiday of love, Valentine's Day. And my next guest has spent her entire career studying love, lust, and how they change our brain's actual chemistry. You may have heard her on her TED Talk on the brain in love. She's Dr. Helen Fisher. She's a biological anthropologist. She's written six books on love, monogamy, adultery, divorce, and the brain chemistry of romantic love. And she's chief scientific officer of the popular dating site Match.com. She also has a new book coming out called The Anatomy of Love, A Natural History of Mating Marriage and Why We Stray. So you can pre-order that on Amazon. I want to jump right in. You've been talking about love and marriage for so many years. You're Chief Scientific Officer of Match.com. Tell us, what are some of the trends you've been seeing when it comes to relationships in the U.S.? Well, I'm actually really excited about the future. I've been called America's last optimist, but actually I've got a great deal of data to be an optimist. You know, I am Chief Scientific Advisor to Match.com, and my data for the future comes from, well, not only knowing the brain and human evolution, but bottom line is, we do a national study called Singles in America. We do not poll the match population. We poll the American population. So it's a representative sample based on the U.S. Census. And what I'm seeing is what I would call slow love. And this is the last chapter of my book, Anatomy of Love, in which I talk about slow love. And basically, you know, for years we've been seeing so many people who are hooking up, uh, so many people who are having these friends with benefits, so many people who are living together and really postponing marriage. And I think most Americans think that this is just recklessness. But it began to occur to me, maybe it's caution. I think we are in an age now where we're so terrified of divorce. And, in fact, there's a a new study that shows that 67% of Americans who are living with somebody Mm -hmm. don't marry or are not marrying now because they're so scared of divorce. And because we're so scared of divorce, I think what we're doing is we want to know everything about this person before we tie the knot. And so we're going to get into sex fast. Probably not, yeah, right? I mean, we're you know we're getting into um, sex fast, where which you learn a lot about somebody when you have sex with them. I'm not suggesting it, but the bottom line is you do. And then the friends with benefits and living together. And I began to think, well, you know, if all this is, I call it the pre-commitment stage or the commitment light uh, stage of the relationship. And uh, and I think as that expands. Um, People have more time to get to know somebody, but they also know when it's not going to work, and they're more likely to break up before they marry, before they tie the knot, which made me think to myself, well, maybe if so many relationships that don't work break up before they get married, maybe we're going to see more happy marriages. So I did a study with um, uh, Match, studying married people, not on Match, not on the Match side, of course. And um, there were 1,100 of them, and I asked them a lot of questions. But among the questions was, would you remarry the person you're currently married to? And 81% said yes. So I honestly think that now we're in a time where, you know, people know about contraception. um, They um, can protect themselves from disease. And so we're, we're seeing more and more people just experimenting with relationships and then finally finding the right person and marrying, and I think we're going to see more happy marriages because of it. 
Okay, so you're saying that all of these factors we're discussing, now some people may interpret those as more recklessness. You're saying those actually lead to less divorce and possibly more committed marriages? Absolutely. Um, and by the way, you know, um, 85 to 90% of Americans will marry. Uh, they're just marrying a whole lot later. And they're divorcing and they're remarrying, but they are um, they are marrying. It's not like, um, you know, I mean, 100 years ago, almost everybody had to marry because it was the only way that a woman could really get ahead. It was the only career choice for a woman. She didn't have any education. She didn't have any money. And this was the way that she could, you know, create a stable life. But today, women have their own careers. As a matter of fact, I actually think that, you know, people will say, well, it's technology that's changing everything. Technology is changing courtship. No question about that. But it's not changing love. This brain circuitry for love cannot change whether you meet somebody on Match or Tinder or wherever or whether you meet him in church, or whether you meet him in a bar, or whether you meet him on a sidewalk. Um, the brain circuitry for love will remain. I really want to get into that, because I've heard you talk about how romantic love isn't actually an emotion in the brain circuitry. It's actually a drive in the same way we have a drive for a promotion or, or chocolate. Tell our audience what you mean by that. Well, you, I and my colleagues are the first in the world to put people who were madly in love into brain scanners. You know, for a long time, people thought that romantic love was part of the supernatural. They didn't think that fear was part of the supernatural or anger or depression, but they thought romantic love was. So anyway, we put people in the brain scanner. And I, like everybody else, I think, uh, really did think that this was an emotion. And, of course, there's a lot of emotions involved from high to low. But... Um, Basic, the basic brain regions that become active when you look into the brain with functional MRI brain scanning um, are brain regions that lie way below the emotion centers in brain regions linked with wanting, craving, obsession, focus, motivation, and in this case, the motivation to win life's greatest prize, really, which is a mating partner. As a matter of fact, one of the brain regions that, is, that pumps out dopamine, actually, um, that gives you that high of romantic love, that brain region lies right next to brain, way at the base of the brain, right next to brain regions linked with thirst and hunger. So it's a drive, a craving that evolved millions of years ago to enable you to focus your mating energy on one individual and start the mating process. Right there. So you're saying that love is a key driver of survival? It's a survival mechanism, very well said. As a matter of fact, my brain scanning partner, Lucy Brown, has called it a, a survival mechanism, yes. And bottom line is, you know, food and, and, and water and shelter, you know, keep you alive another day. But romantic love and feelings of attachment drive you to have babies. And, of course, that sends your DNA on into tomorrow. So it is basically, yes, a drive, a survival mechanism. Okay, that's fascinating. Now, You've also mentioned the dopamine release, which so many people feel in that rush of early love. And that's the same dopamine release you actually have when somebody is high on cocaine. Right. But, but over time, that feeling diminishes. So talk about how that changes and what can people in a long-term relationship do to get that back? Well, um, that's a lot of different questions, but uh, I'll try with the first one first. Um, um, first of all, everybody does think that romantic love just dies. And, in fact, it doesn't. It does change somewhat. Uh, the early anxiety begins to disappear. But what we did among our brain scanning experiments is to put a lot of, um, we put 17 people who were 
have been married an average of 21 years into the brain scanner, all of them maintained that they were still in love, not just loving somebody, but in love with their partner. We didn't know whether to believe them. I mean, Americans don't, people don't believe that you can remain in love. But as it turns out, some of the basic brain regions linked with intense feelings of romantic love became active. The difference was that as love grows, you also see activity in brain regions with, uh, for deep attachment and brain regions linked with calm and pain suppression. So it does change somewhat, but if you pick the right person, you can remain in love, that intense feeling of in love long term. And I would think, just to answer your other question, that, that um, there's many things that um, you can do to sustain romantic love, but I think we've evolved three distinctly different brain systems for mating and reproduction. One is a sex drive, one is feelings of intense romantic love, and one is feelings of attachment. And if you really want a long-term happiness, you want to keep all of them alive. So if you want to keep the romantic love alive, do novel things together. Novelty drives up the uh, dopamine in the brain and can give you that feeling of romantic love. Feelings of deep attachment can be sustained just by staying in touch. Learn to sleep in the person's arms, um, walk down the street holding hands, a hug and kiss. Uh, that all drives up the oxytocin system and can continue to give you feelings of deep attachment. And if you want to sustain the sex drive, have sex. I mean, if you have sex, it drives up the testosterone system and you want more sex. So uh, you want to keep all three of those brain systems alive. But interestingly enough... We also found among these people who were in love long term, um, three brain regions became active that are linked with happiness. And those three brain regions that became active among these long term people in love were one, a brain region linked with um, um, controlling your own emotions. Another brain region that became active is a brain region linked with empathy, empathy for your partner. And the third huge brain region uh, that becomes active is a brain region which enables one to overlook what you don't like about somebody and just focus on what you do. So these studies of brain circuitry are beginning to show us how to build a happier marriage. Okay, fascinating. So those three things you talked about, controlling your emotions, empathy, and really seeing the good, I mean, it seems like those can be drivers for a long-term relationship and being able to keep it in the first place. Is that what it is? Yeah, uh, yeah. well, all we know is that those are the three brain regions that became active among people who scored very high on a questionnaire, satisfaction, marriage satisfaction questionnaire, and also were in our brain scanners. So which came first, the chicken or the egg? I'm not quite sure, but uh, nobody knows. But the bottom line is if you want to create or sustain a long-term partnership, overlook what you don't like, focus on what you do like, have some empathy, and control yourself. And, by the way, have sex with the person, go do novel things, and stay in touch. Okay, that's great advice for all of us and anyone in a relationship. Now, say somebody isn't in a long-term relationship, but they're looking for one. You're Chief Scientific Officer for Match.com, and you all have a specific algorithm for how you match people together. Now, are there a couple of key drivers that you would say are the two or three biggest ones for what can make a successful relationship? On Chemistry.com, which is a subsidiary of Match.com, they wanted to know why you fall in love with one person rather than another. And at the time, I said, I, just, I don't know. I mean, nobody knows. I mean, we do know that you tend to fall for somebody who is from the same socioeconomic background, same general level of intelligence, same general level of good looks, same religious and social values. 
Uh, same reproductive goals. But, you know, you can walk into a room and everybody is from your background and same degree of intelligence and good looks. And you don't fall in love with all of them. So I began to think, does basic chemistry play a role? Are we naturally drawn to some people rather than others? And so I, 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 I looked into, you know, brain circuitry. And I found that there's four brain systems that is each one of them linked with a constellation of personality traits, the dopamine, serotonin, testosterone, and estrogen system. So if you are a person who's very high on the dopamine scale, you tend to be novelty-seeking, risk-taking, curious, creative, spontaneous, energetic. And those people are drawn to people like themselves. Excite, excited, curious people want somebody like themselves. People expressive of the traits linked with the serotonin system tend to be very traditional they go for people like themselves also but the last two categories people who are very high testosterone tend to go for the high estrogen type and vice versa so you know nature has some plans of uh, for who we're drawn to and the more you know about the biology of personality I think the more you can make appropriate choices I wrote a whole book on it it was called why him why her came out I guess I don't know about four years ago and it really explains these four types and it's really helped me actually writing that book because what I when I look at myself I tend to go out with people who are very high dopamine like myself they're curious um, spontaneous but I also go for my opposite because I'm very high estrogen I go so for the high dopamine testosterone types because I'm high dopamine estrogen so I'm beginning to piece together some of the biology of personality and then watching who's naturally drawn to whom okay so how can one find out what type they are well, you can certainly go to one of my websites. Um, uh, the Anatomy of Love is one, and uh, uh, another is HelenFisher.com, or by, or the book, um, you know, Why Him, Why Her. I think the questionnaire, the questionnaire has now been taken by 14 million people in 40 countries because Match.com puts it on their site also. So I have the opportunity to study, you know, this data um, all the time, and uh I'm really perfecting it now, actually. Actually, actually, I'm perfecting it for business. I've got a new, new uh, company called NeuroColor in which we go into companies and people take a, a, a newer version of that same uh, uh, questionnaire. And, and I hope to be able to show people not only who you're naturally drawn to, but, but how to get along with them. I mean, you know, so often we take something personally where it's really not about us. The other person has certain characteristics that, that are basic to them, and once you understand what those characteristics are, you can, you can, you can provide. You know, Americans seem to think that, um, you know, we've all been taught, um, uh, you know, do unto others as we would have done unto ourselves, but really... It should be do unto others as they would have done unto themselves. And once you begin to understand who somebody is, you can give them what they what they need, and and not only in love but in business. Okay, so you've talked about long term relationships, controlling your emotions, and having empathy. Those same things are important in the workplace too. We have to have those. Yeah, very well done. I didn't actually put that one together myself till right now. That's nice. Thank you. Oh, we should work together. <laughs> I would love to see the results of how that plays out in the workplace. It's so interesting. Oh, yeah. It's already beginning to with this new company called NeuroColor. But, um, you know, Freud said uh, there's two important things in life, work and love. And what I really do is I study personality. I study human nature. And so many of these principles that apply to love also apply to business. It's all about human relationships and how we get along. 
In your most recent book, The Anatomy of Love, you discuss why we stray, which is something we really haven't talked about yet. So why do we stray? And in our last few minutes, you know, how can we all kind of stray-proof our relationships? Well, you can pick the right person. That's the way to stray proof it. Uh, you know, uh, <laughs> you know. I mean, I don't know. You know, I wish I had all the answers to human nature, but uh, there's a lot to be done still. But anyway, I, did, I, I okay. So, well, why do we stray in the first place? <laughs> um, <clears throat> I've looked in 40 societies, and as it turns out, um, everywhere in the world, people cheat. Not all people. But, um, and there's all kinds of cultural reasons why people will, will cheat. You know, if you ask them why they'll cheat, they'll say, well, you know, I mean, I, I wanted um, uh, to be, get caught in, and improve my marriage. I wanted to get caught and break up. I wanted to just supplement my marriage. I, I got lonely when my partner was out of town. All kinds of cultural reasons play a role. And, in fact, I wrote a whole big article on that that you could get on my website, uh, HelenFisher.com. But, anyway, um, but there's probably some biological reasons, too. And one of them is a a, a particular gene or genes in the vasopressin system. And there's a very interesting uh, study that came out of Sweden a few years ago. They studied 552 men who had either no copies of this gene in the vasopressin system, one copy of the gene, or two copies of the gene. And uh, as it turns out, people who had no copies of the gene had the most stable marriages. They weren't studying divorce, but they were studying stability in a marriage, which would lead to divorce. But anyway, um, uh, people with one copy of the gene had less stable marriages, and, two, and people with two copies of the gene had the least uh, stable marriages. So um, also these three brain systems, the sex drive, romantic love, and feelings of attachment, they can operate in many ways. So you can feel deep attachment for one person while you feel intense romantic love for somebody else while you feel the sex drive for a third person. So the brain is extremely well built for falling in love, forming a pair bond, and rearing our children as a, as a team. But it's also, unfortunately, well built to cheat as well. So I think what we've evolved is what I call a dual human reproductive strategy. Uh, a tremendous drive to fall in love and also to cheat. And I, I think the great 21st century issue is you know, balancing autonomy and intimacy, but I am really optimistic about the future because we can finally make the kind of relationships we're looking for. That's wonderful, and I, I love ending on that optimistic note. We all know how to go out and find your mate and make it long-term successful relationships, complete with attachment and a great sex drive, too. So for all of our listeners, I want to thank you again for joining us, Dr. Fisher. This was really wonderful. And all of our listeners, you can check out her website at HelenFisher.com and TheAnatomyOfLove.com. Tweet her at Dr. Fisher and check out her book, The Anatomy of Love, and Natural History of Mating, Marriage, and Why We Stray. You can pre-order that right now on Amazon. And don't forget to check us out on ShareCare. Tweet us at ShareCare, Inc. or me at Dr. Daria. And remember, you can find any of our segments at RadioMD.ShareCare.com. And remember, you can find any of our segments at RadioMD.com backslash ShareCare Radio. Thanks for listening and stay well.